morning. Chang, I am the church planner, apprentice, resident, whatever you want to call me. And if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 16. We're camping out there. And, and thank you, Curtis and guys, uh, just for leading us in worship. And, and I just want to ask of us to just stay in that worship as we meditate on the Word together this morning. And because we're going to be talking about a personal God. Okay? Now, one of my favorite things to do to worship is, is, is sometimes an accident. I was at Pretty Prairie, Kansas the other week, whatever, and, 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 and I was outside, no city pollution, you know, light pollution, and, and I was just struck by just the stars. And at that point, I don't know if you can relate to me or not, I just get lost. I, just, I forget myself. I'm just, I'm just looking at just how grand God is that He created that, and I, and and it seems like all my problems just just temporarily it just goes away. Can you relate to me? Yeah. And I'm just like, are you serious, God? Because I, I'm sort of a science nerd, I I also remember this amazing site is just a small local neighborhood in a huge spiraling galaxy where if you could go at the speed of light from one end to the next, it would take you 100,000 years to get across. And I'm like, are you kidding me, God? But then it's like God saying, hold up here. You ain't seen nothing yet. Scientists have taken the Hubble telescope, one of the most powerful telescopes, and they were, like, they were curious. It, they were like, well, what if we just, it's the size of a dime, what if, just the size of a dime in that part of the sky, it's, it's just black, as far as we can see, what if we peer into that? What will we see? And, and, and we see this. These aren't stars. Every single light you see are galaxies. And I'm like, when I first saw this picture, I remember I just had to sit down. Because I was thinking about, God, you are so gloriously enormous. What? And I worship. It just takes my breath away. And, and, I, and I think, you are indeed eternal. We can't understand that. You are omnipresent, which means he's everywhere at all times. He's omniscient. That means he knows that there, all that there is to know. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. All these objects you see in black holes, the most powerful forces in the universe, they can do nothing but obey when he speaks. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. But then I, I come back down to earth, and I look to myself. Oh, I'm so small. And it begs the question, me who is lesser than dust compared to the might of God, does he really care about me? How could he possibly be interested in the affairs of little old me? It's such an important question. A.W. Tozer, a famous writer, once said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I've often heard people relate to me, and, and they'll, they'll just marvel when they see something big like that. Or when you stand next to a mountain. I used to live in Oregon. We would see Mount Hood, and it's just this ginormous volcano, and it, it just makes you feel little. And, 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 and so people often say, I hear this, 
I'm so small and insignificant. And I always want to just come back to them and say, yes, indeed, you are small, but you are not insignificant. There is an important distinguishment there. And so, uh, by the grace of God, you have been made in the image of God. That means you have been vested with inestimable dignity. And if you call yourself a follower of Christ, you've been set on a course toward a destiny filled with purpose and glory. So, here's the big idea what we're going to be meditating on today. Continue to worship with me. It doesn't stop with the singing. It goes on in the meditation of the word. God is involved in and cares about your daily life. Let me say that again. God is involved in and cares about your daily life. There's a story of a woman named Hagar in Genesis 16, I think. Just really best illustrates this truth. If you've been in a believe group, you've already read that story. And, and, and who she is, she is an Egyptian uh, maidservant of Sarai. Her name's not Sarah yet. And at this point of Genesis, in Genesis 16, um, Abram and Sarai had been promised not once but twice that they will have an offspring, even in their old age. But at this point of the book in Genesis, it had been ten Long years. Ten years. What were you doing ten years ago? So that feels like an eternity to me. Liz and I had just moved into Chicago ten years ago. So Sarai decided to take matters into her own hands. And she, she gets Hagar and gives her to Abram to be his wife so that they can have an offspring they can have a child. And so look at Genesis 16.4 with me. This is the word of God. And he, Abraham, went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. What we have here is, first, is Hagar sees problems. Now, it offends our modern sensibilities just to be treated like property and just given to someone. So let's try to understand the historical circumstances here. That is not the problem, okay? In fact, it was expected, it was the norm to, 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 to strengthen the family through marriage. It's not about love, like what we think about today in our 21st century minds. It's about strengthening the family. And so that is not the issue. So what is the issue? What is Hagar's problem here? Let's slow down and meditate on verse 4 very carefully. Look at the wording. And when she saw that she conceived, stop. I had to get a female's perspective on this. I asked my wife, what does this mean? Mothers, you can tell me what that means if you stop and think about it. We can rush through this and, and not think about this, but we've got to stop. Just what is Hagar going through? What is, what is going on in her mind as her belly grows bigger and bigger and bigger? What is she feeling? A mother's attachment to her baby is one of the most powerful forces among any human relationships. Just use your imagination. I can imagine Hagar talking and singing to her baby. I can imagine her every day she's touching and massaging her belly as it grows bigger and bigger. 
Uh, can you imagine her just taking a warm bath and just imagining, what is this baby going to look like? Is it going to look more like Abraham? Is it going to look more like me? Maybe in the last trimester, the baby is finally starting to kick with its little tiny feet. She pushes back. It responds. Oh, there, are, there is a, an amazing bond going on. She saw she had conceived. What does she do? She, doesn't know, she, she has no power. She is not in any position of authority. This is her baby, is it not? What's the problem? She's going to have to give it away. The arrangement is, this is not your baby. All this work that you're going to go through, it seems like for naught, because you're going to have to give it away. So she can't do anything, so all she can do is look upon Sarai with contempt. The Hebrew word for contempt is kalal. That means curse. Literally, Hagar cursed Sarah, and that's a big no-no. Do you remember in Genesis 12, 3, when God first spoke to Abraham? He made all sorts of promises, but he also said this, I will bless those who will bless you, but him who curses you, I will curse. Same word, kalal. Now, it's God's business to curse whoever curses them, but once again, Sarah has to take matters into her own hand. So she shifts the blame to Abraham, says, this is your responsibility. Abraham's like, no. He shrugs it off. He's like, she's your servant. You do with what you want with her. Remember, she's his wife now. So she mistreats her. She deals harshly with her, and Hagar flees. Now, We've all been in Hagar's shoes, I think. We base our identity on how we see our circumstances. You might be disappointed because life hasn't turned out the way you wanted it to turn out. You might be self-loathing because no one will love you for just being you. Maybe you feel like a loser because no matter what you do, you just don't measure up. And I can go on and on and on, but the point is, life is all about the circumstances you see, and so you build up all sorts of insecurities. Like Hagar, maybe you're fleeing from difficult responsibilities in your life. Maybe you're hiding scars, and you're projecting to the world, hey, I've got it all together. Life becomes a constant search for distractions and you're willing to do just about anything just to feel some kind of acceptance. You don't want to be seen negatively. You You just don't want to feel pain. And so you flee, just like Hagar. Your life is a constant running away. But I got a good I got good news for you. Your life does not have to be about running away. That's what Jesus came for. It doesn't have to be part of your story. Let's go back to Hagar. At this point, Hagar sees that her husband, Abraham, doesn't care about her. All she knows to do is to look at contempt at the source of her anguish, namely Sarai. And so, now this is important, because what Hagar sees and looks, those are important words. Now, if you have the NIV and you have the New Living Translation, it doesn't have that because they're trying to, you know, make it more readable. But, man, I think they're missing it. I looked at the Hebrew, sure enough, it's about seeing and looking. Okay, the, 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 what Hagar sees and, and looks at, 
Those are foreshadowing words that we need to keep in our minds in the story of Hagar. Right now, her perspective is limited. She's in darkness. We just sang about this. She doesn't have any truths in her life. So all she knows how to do is take her pregnant self and hightail it out of there. We asked a big question again. Does God care about me? Read with me Genesis 16, 7 through 11. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. The the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from? And where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. Now, we saw that Hagar sees in the story. We're shifting our focus now. Now we see that God sees Hagar. And he sees her in three different ways. First, God sees Hagar by finding her. It's not like God lost her, okay? Let's just get that straight, okay? You you can't, it's not like he sent the hound, hound dogs of heaven to just go look for her. And no, you can't hide from God. David thoughtfully asked in Psalm 139, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Now, you know what found her? It's the presence of God, where Hagar could relate to God that had found her. Isn't that fascinating? She wasn't looking for God, but he found her. And he showed up in the form of this mysterious angel of the Lord. If you know your Bible, you know that this is a a strange character. Is it an angel? There's all sorts of interpretations. Is this a pre-incarnate form of Christ? What is this? We can't go much into that. But basically, I think the idea is is that the God of the universe who holds all things into his hands, he speaks to her a lowly, runaway servant, face to face. Did God have to do that? No. He wanted to. Like Matt says all the time, he gets to. It's so fascinating. I mean, the world wouldn't give her a second thought all throughout the... But, 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 but God pursues her. So friends, I, I, I just want us to remind us that God is always working around you. He doesn't stand from afar. He says, man, that stinks being you. He's constantly in motion, constantly pursuing a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. Does that sound familiar, those of you who have taken experiencing God classes? 
So I think in this story, it's intentional that God waited for the moment until Hagar gets to a spring. Isn't that a beautiful backdrop for the picture that God is doing? In the, in the midst of a barren wilderness, there is newness of life. So first, God sees her by finding her. Second, God sees Hagar by calling her name. Now, we know that Hagar is on her way to Shur. Do you know where Shur is? Shur is that narrow strip of land just east of the, the Delta Nile. This Egyptian maidservant is going back home. And at this spring, God calls her by name, Hagar. He knows her. There's something about when someone knows your name. That's one of our first part of our vision, is that, you, that, that people would know your name. Not only that, but know you. God knitted her in her mother's womb. She is fearfully and wonderfully made. She is made in the image of God. So even though the world treats her like property, God sees her with an estimable value and dignity. What an amazing God we serve. So, but then, but that's not it. That's not it. So, God says, Hagar. And then he adds, gives her a reminder of her earthly obligations. Hagar, and gives her a title. Servant of Sarai. He proceeds to ask her, where have you come from? And where are you going? Now, it's not, again... God's not trying to retrieve information. He's omniscient. He knew the information already before she was born. What God is doing is, this question is designed to begin a dialogue. To see how open and honest she'll be. Hagar, servant of Sarai, where are you coming from? Where are you going? God asked the same thing with Adam, didn't he? When Adam ate the forbidden fruit, and then he hid because he heard God walking in the midst of the cool of the morning. Adam, where are you? And Adam said, here I am, God. I hid from you because I knew that, I, I was ashamed, I knew that I was naked. And God said, who told you you were naked? What is it you have done? Now God knows the answer, but he wants to see what Adam will do. And Adam then plays the blame game. The woman he gave me, he gave it to me. The woman says, the devil made me do it. And so there's a round of curses, but in the end, there is a message of hope. Just read Genesis 3.15. God asked the same thing of Cain, right? Remember the story of Cain when he killed his brother Abel? God then came to Cain and says, Cain, where's your brother? And Cain says, I don't know. Callously. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And so what you see from then on is is God says, what is it you have done, Cain? The, The blood of your brother Abel screams to me from the ground. And so you see no message of hope for Cain. What would Cain, what would happen if Cain just got down on his knees and begged for forgiveness and mercy from an almighty God? I think it would be a much different story. There would surely be consequences, but there would be a message of hope, even for a murderer. But Cain is too proud to take the grace of God for himself. So, we ask the same thing. 
with Hagar. What does Hagar do? Where are you going? Where are you coming from? Where are you going, servant of Sarai? And she takes Adam's route of confession. And she answers, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. Look at the wording. She confesses the understandable truth that, hey, she's running away because she's being mistreated here. She's being dealt with harshly. She can't stand it. That's understandable. But look what she says. I'm fleeing from who? My mistress, Sarai. She didn't have to say that. Do you know what mistress means? It's a woman in a position of authority and control. She is acknowledging that, yes, indeed, Sarai is my mistress. What could she have said? I'm running away from that tyrant. And that whatever you want to add in that word, adjective, Sarai. No, she says, my mistress. She's my mistress. Are you honest with God's, or are you honest with God the circumstances in your life? Like Hagar? I think she's an example to us. Are you making excuses for your sins because of the circumstances in your life? You know what's happening here, right? God is calling you by name because he knows you better than you know yourself. But he also adds a title to your name. What's your title? Can I make some suggestions? If you are found in Christ, you are a son or a daughter of the king, like we just sang. Saint, Beloved, heir, chosen one, liberated one, sent one, ambassador of Christ, temple, masterpiece, conquerors, citizens of God's kingdom, and yes, servants of God. Do you believe? Do you confess like Hagar that this is your title? Hagar confesses her God-given title and her acknowledgement opens up the floodgates of God's blessings. Okay? So, so this is the third thing that God sees Hagar. He engages the details of her life. That's how she sees her. And so three times God makes a statement and three times those statements begin with the angel of the Lord said to her, the angel of the Lord said to her, the angel of the Lord said to her, this is not redundancy, okay? The Bible is making an emphatic point here. This is a rabbinic device to teach you. Like, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The angel of the Lord said to her three times. What is the Bible trying to emphasize? God is speaking to Hagar face to face. First in verse 9, he gives her the command to do what her title demands. Servant of Sarai, she is to return to her. And you know what? This is actually a microcosm, a, a, a smaller story of a grander story of Israel. Israel, don't go back to Egypt. Go to your, your, your master, your Lord, as servant of God. Second in verse 10, she gets to share in Abraham's promise that his offspring can't be counted because of the multitude. She gets to share into that. But, 
you know what? Actually, she's actually, do you know who she's the mother of what people group? She's the mother of the Arabic people. The wonderful Arabic people. And yet God is also correcting Abraham and Sarah. And Sarah, This baby will not be the promised child. And so, through that, this is good news for Hagar. God is assuring her and reassuring her that this baby is yours. That's growing in your side of you. Hagar, this is yours. More than that, third in verse 11, God does a divine sonogram session with Hagar and tells her, yep, you're going to have a boy. Now, do you understand the significance of that? We're not trying to be misogynist here, but that is good news in a patriarchal society. That's why the Bible makes such a big deal of caring for the widows and the orphans. There's no government assistance programs here. If you're a woman on your own, you're not going to make it. That's why the story of Ruth and Naomi, that informs us so much about what it means to be a woman during this time. And that's why Boaz is such a stud for being a kinsman redeemer, to take them on. Okay? No, Hagar... I'm going to take care of you, God says to her. You're going to have a son. And you're going to call him Ishmael. Isn't that amazing? It doesn't matter who you are. You are made in the image of God. I have to say that over and over again. We forget that we are made in the image of our Creator. And so God is involved in and He cares about your daily life. And so because of this, After this encounter, Hagar now has a different perspective. She has a broadened perspective. We now see that Hagar sees God. Genesis 16, 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. She responds in worship, but more than that, she obeys. That, that, That worship continues in her obedience. And, and what she understood was two truths. You are the God of sin. She is acknowledging that God is a transcendent God. And what that means is that he is up above everything. He is independent of and superior to the rest of the universe. But secondly, she also, when she says, truly here I have seen him who look after me, God is also an imminent God. He's not one or the other. He is both. And what that means, he is present and active in your daily life. He's not aloof. He's not too big for you. He is quite simply always near. Because if you emphasize too much on the transcendence of God, he's not relatable. My people, the Chinese, ancient Chinese, they had this God called Shangdi 4,000 years ago. And what's fascinating about Shangdi is he requires no idol. But, he was so, but only the emperor could pray to him. Christian missionaries came over and heard about that story. He says, oh, do you realize this is the very same God? We want to bring you back to this God. But now we want to spare you the good news. He can be known. But what's, what was lost is because he's unknown, that was lost and, and it's just lost in legends now. No, if, if God is transcendent, then that means, and, and, and you don't hold on to the eminence of God, then you can't relate to him. 
switch that around. If you don't emphasize the transcendence of God and all it is is he's an imminent God, he is nothing but a fairy to you. Just sprinkling dust on everyone and doing what you command him to do. Your prayers are now then, I'm going to go this way. God, please let me do this. Instead of asking, God, where are you? I'm going that way. He is both. Hold them both together. I think the greatest thing that God can demonstrate to us that he is imminent and transcendent is through the person of Jesus Christ. The God of the universe, the God of seeing, saw that we were a sinful people. He knows all our past, present, and future sins, and yet he still came. He still sent his son Jesus. Jesus still joyfully went to the task ahead of him. Why? Because he loves you. There's no other reason. Disgrace. And Jesus came among the people he created, and yet they crucified him. We crucified him through our sins. And he died, but then three days later, he conquered death. And he made it possible for the kingdom of God to be on earth as it is in heaven. And so we have a transcendent God who says, death, you are nothing to me. Be gone. And paves a way for us because he's also imminent. This is your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you haven't believed him, come talk to me. Come talk to Pastor Matt. Come talk to the people that you came here with. That is the most important decision you could ever make, is knowing where you stand with God. And you can only stand with God through Jesus Christ. Our God is a personal God. Let me pray. Father, Sometimes when I really stop and think about your transcendence, I think to myself, I am not worthy to speak to you, to be in your presence, to talk to you. In fact, God, I want to hide from you because of my sins that I struggle with daily. You are a holy God. You are a just God. And yet here I am speaking to you with your people we all are collectively looking at you why it's only because of Jesus you are an imminent God you are near you are Emmanuel and so father one of my favorite things to do at the end of a prayer, is to acknowledge it is in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.